Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Now, last week was Resurrection Sunday, and uh, we celebrated our risen high priest. We talked about him being our risen high priest. And so the week before that, we also talked about our high priest, him being a compassionate high priest. You guys remember that? So I thought I was going to be done with that and, and move on, but I felt like I needed to continue that and finish that up before we move on to the next thing, you know. So we, we went from talking about our compassionate high priest. We talked about him being our risen high priest. And how I many you know, um, man, that's something to always be thankful about. We shouldn't stop being thankful just because it's no longer Resurrection Sunday. You know, we live today and we have relationship with God today and fellowship with God today. And we can go and access the throne room of God today because of the resurrection because Jesus came and and he came for that one last atonement service. Remember that? And so we have access today by the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. We have access because Jesus did what the blood of bulls and goats could not do and that they just covered our sin. No, his blood took our sin away. And because of that, those that by faith receive his sacrifice have access to the Father. And so we want to get into a little bit more of that today, okay? So in Hebrews chapter 4, I told you to turn there, but I didn't turn. Hebrews chapter 4, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Hebrews chapter 4. Um, so I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Somebody say throne of grace. Throne of grace. Throne of grace. What, what is a throne? What is a throne? A throne is where... Uh, judgment takes place, right? A drone, uh, a drone, <laughs> a throne is where a decree is pronounced, right? Uh, the king, he pronounces a decree. Um, that, uh, that's where it takes place. A throne is a place of authority. Okay. It's where a verdict is passed. A sentence is issued. A throne. We're talking about throne. We're thinking kingdom. Okay. You know, I know we don't live in a kingdom like that, but we are a part of the kingdom of God. And so when we hear throne, we need to understand that that is a place of authority. And that's a place where judgment takes place. And in the old covenant, the Hebrews, they could not just go to the throne of God. They could not just say, you know, march into the throne, into the heavenly holy of holies and just say, hey, hey, God, I want to talk to you today. I need some help today. No, they could not just do that without experiencing the judgment of God because the wages of sin is death, right? They were, they were not cleansed from their sins, so they couldn't just approach the throne of God. And only the high priest, as we talked about before, only the high priest could go in 
in into the throne room, into the Holy of Holies. And that was only on one day of the year. And he couldn't do that unless he brought what? A sacrifice, right? A blood sacrifice first. Then he could go into the throne room. But now today in this new covenant, it says we can go boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and, uh, and find grace in the time of need, right? So today when we go into the throne, because those that receive Jesus' sacrifice, those that receive the blood sacrifice, we can go boldly to the throne and the verdict is not guilty. The verdict is mercy. The verdict is grace. You get mercy. You get grace from the Lord because he is a merciful high priest. Amen. So that's what, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about our merciful high priest. And this all goes together, but I want to talk about our merciful high priest. Now, when we're talking about this, we're talking about believers, okay? We're talking about uh, believers that have received what Jesus has done for them, okay? Now, he's merciful to the whole world. That I mean, this mercy and this grace is provided for everybody, but that doesn't mean just because it's provided that they have received it, okay? That doesn't mean that they have accepted it and that they themselves have access to the throne of God. No, you first have to receive what Jesus has done for you before you have this access into the grace. So we don't have to wait to come to God. Uh, you know, we have mercy and grace now. We don't have to wait till we sin to come to God. We can get mercy and grace before we sin, before we're tempted. This mercy and grace is not just to cover just to help us after we sinned. This is for so that we can live a victorious life in Christ right now. Okay, that's what this mercy and grace is for so that we live a victorious life in him today. All right, not after we sin, before we sin. Yes, it's for after we sin. We need the grace of God and the mercy of God, but we can access it before, before we sin. Okay. Um, go to, uh, where are you at? Um, Hebrew. We'll stay, go to Hebrews chapter two. You know, our high priest, he knows exactly what we need because like we talked about before, he was a man. He came as a man, but yet he was not tempted. Now, when you say that, sometimes people think that you cannot relate to someone, uh, how can Jesus relate to us if he hasn't sinned? You know, you don't have to sin to understand the consequences of sin, right? You don't have to commit a sin to understand that there are consequences for that sin and to hurt when somebody sins. You know, we know of people that have committed, uh, you, you watch on the news, you hear about things and you see people have committed things that are wrong, that are egregious and somebody else was the victim of their sin and and they were, you know, something bad happened to them, you can hurt for them and have compassion on them. You don't have to be uh you don't have to have experienced that to un to necessarily understand and hurt with them. Do you guys see what I'm saying? But Jesus actually does understand what we're going through because he did become a man. You guys paying attention? He did become a man. So you don't have to uh, uh, go and experience the iniquity to have compassion on somebody. Okay? That doesn't mean he, does, he cannot relate. See, 
the Lord can empathize and sympathize with us. See, empathy means that you just can imagine what that would be like. But uh, sympathy means you hurt too. In the King James Version, uh, what version did we just read here? That's the New King James. It says he sympathizes. In the King James Version, it says that he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What does that mean? When you're touched, when somebody is going through a challenging time and they're going through a, a difficult time or they're being tempted, as this is talking about, tested or whatever, you can hurt with them. It touches his heart as well. It touches our Savior's heart as well. It touches him to the point where he uh, is there to give you compassion, to help you. He sympathizes with us, okay? Um, Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter two, Hebrews chapter two. Say, let me say this before we read this. Jesus actually, believe it or not, Jesus actually was tempted much further than we were. He actually was tempted and went through a greater degree of temptation than we have. He actually dealt with temptation at its strongest point. Are you guys following me? He dealt with temptation at it. You guys listening? You guys follow me? He dealt with temptation at its strongest point. See, a lot of times when Christians, when some of us, we've been tempted, we gave in right away to the temptation. When we felt like yielding to the flesh, we might have resisted a little bit, but some things might have irked us so much or whatever, or what, you know, whatever the case may be, when we gave into the flesh and we sinned. Now, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. But Jesus resisted the temptation to sin, the, re the temptation to quit long before. I mean, we already had quit. Jesus is still resisting it at its strongest point when it's bearing down on him, when it's like, challenging and and even in the garden you see this that when he was going to the father to pray just before he is about to go to the cross and he prays and his disciples are there uh but they're falling asleep and then he says father in the garden of gethsemane he says uh, father let this cup pass from me but not my will but your will be done what is happening and at that moment of time, now Jesus did, he did, it was his will to go to the cross before that. It was his will to go to the cross after that. He knew what he was doing. That's why he came to earth, okay? That was his plan and he was sticking to it. And I'm saying that because some people think there was no way that Jesus could have been tempted to not do that in the garden. Well, he came as a human, and if he came as a man, and he had flesh like a man, and he was tempted like everybody else, then there is points where he was tempted, and he had a moment where he had to resist the temptation to do what his flesh wanted to do. Or else, why do you say, not my will, but your will be done? In other words, not what I want, but what you want, Lord. Now, he was still going through with it no matter what. He was still going to accomplish the plan, fulfill what he came to earth to do. But in that moment, he was saying, if, basically, if there is another way, you know, let this cup pass. 
You know, if there's another, because he understood what he was going to go through. He understood. We don't really fully understand what he was going to go through, but he understood the separation between him and the father. He understood the the full brunt of sin. The full penalty of sin was going to be placed upon him. Okay. That's why on the cross, he said, father, you, why have you forsaken me? He felt completely alone. Okay. No one was there to grace him. No one was there to strengthen. That's the way he, he felt. He was a human at that, at that point. Okay. And so he's realizing this and he says, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. So in his greatest moment of temptation, Jesus was able to resist. And Luke, who's a physician, Dr. Luke says that he sweat what seemed like great drops of blood. I mean, we have not gone through that where we have resisted what our flesh wanted to do to the point that we are in such agony that we are sweating so profusely that it looks like drops of blood. None of us have experienced that, but Jesus has. Jesus has. So he knows. Okay. So we can't ever say, you don't know what it's like. No, he knows much more than we know. He had it a lot tougher than we did, you know, and he resisted and he was without sin. Okay. And, and I want to make sure I clarify that, that it's not a sin to be tempted. Like we talked about before, it's not a sin. Jesus did not sin because he was tempted to do his will or that he said that. You guys see that? Yeah. To me, it's, I think it's obvious. Why do you say not my will, not what I want? If you are not thinking about doing what you want, okay? But some people have a problem with that because if in their mind, in their eyes, it makes Jesus seem weak and it makes him seem like uh, that he didn't want to do that. No, what it does is it makes him human, that he actually became like us, okay? But in Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Therefore, in all things... He had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. See, he had to be made like his brethren. So either he was made like us or he wasn't. It says to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews 2.18 says, for because he, this is the amplified version, I should say, for because he himself and his humanity has suffered in being tempted. Can you suffer being tempted? If you resist and you keep resisting, there can be some anguish in your soul and in your flesh when you are resisting the temptation. Whatever that temptation is, there can be some anguish. And he is able immediately to run to the cry of assist, relieve those who are being tempted and tested and tried, and who therefore are being exposed to suffering. See, we believe real, you know, for the most part, we believe pretty easily that the Lord is able to redeem us and that he has redeemed us from our sins, right? We believe real easy that he's able to pay the price for our sins, actually that he already has paid the price, and we're able to confess and receive the grace of forgiveness real easy, 
We believe that no problem for the most part. For the most part, Christians don't have a problem believing that, hey, Jesus was able to save us and completely take away our sins, like we talked about. That we don't have a problem believing that, right? We don't struggle. I mean, maybe some people do, but for the most part, as Christians, we don't struggle man, did he completely take my sins away? Are some of them there? Was his blood good enough? You know, was he really the spotless lamb? We're not struggling with that, right? We believe that he completely took our sins away. But where some of us do lack confidence and do sometimes doubt is his ability to aid us and his ability to strengthen us from sinning, from yielding to temptation, from giving up. Because we think that's impossible to go day after day and in your moment of temptation and your moment of weakness, believe the Lord to grace you, believe the Lord to strengthen you, to resist temptation. See, we have to renew our mind to the fact that no, that's possible. And Jesus was the example that that's possible. And we have to believe that that is possible. See, I know when you say that, you people, "Mm, I don't know. Then what is this scripture for then? If we're not, what is this scripture saying to us? That he is able in our moment of weakness to grace us, to strengthen us, to give us the ability. See, we have to come up in our understanding of this and in our faith in this. And we have to come up in our understanding of the mercy of God and of the grace of God in our lives. That he just as easily as he took our sins away, he can easily strengthen us and grace us and empower us to resist temptation, to resist quitting, to resist giving up. Just as easily as he took our sins away, he can easily do that if by faith we receive it, if by faith we yield to that grace and we yield to that mercy. And if we go to him, he can easily strengthen us. You know, I know that there have been times when you are when I, I should say I have been, you know, uh, f- dealing with a thought, the enemy's bombarding me with a thought and he's saying, you know, you're, you're, it's not going to work out. It's not, you're not going to make it. And I say, go to the Lord. And I say, Lord, I need some grace right now in this situation. Show me, help me, reveal to me what to do, reveal to me what needs to be said, what, what I need to believe you for. And he'll give you a thought a thought will come, you know, read this scripture, listen to this message. And what happens? That temptation to whatever you were, you know, having that temptation to do is, can be dealt with right there. The grace comes to deal with that situation. The grace comes and the strength comes to deal with it. He will in every situation, he's faithful, he's merciful. He'll give you the way of escape. He'll show you exactly what to do when you are looking temptation right in the eyes. He'll tell you what you need to do if you go to him. And the grace will come if you do that. Amen? Amen. The grace will come. So uh, so what I'm saying is that we, we need to get free of this idea that the Lord is... N- you know, not able to help us and to strengthen us. And part of that is, you know, we think that we have to do everything on our own. We think that we have to prove to God that we can resist the sin, that we can resist the temptation, that we can resist the doubt on our own. 
before we go to him. See, we think we have to prove, I'm going to prove to you, Lord, I can pass this test. No, you can't, not on your own. You were not even designed to on your own. You can't do it on your own. See, that a lot of that is just pride and that's because of embarrassment. We don't want to go to the Lord because we're dealing with this, so we try to do it on our own. No, we weren't designed to do it on our own. And the thing is, is that when we do go to him, that actually pleases the Father because Faith is what pleases God. Faith pleases him. When it comes to receiving the grace and mercy of God, it's not based on something that we have done. You guys understand what I'm saying? It's not based on things that we are doing. Okay, now you need, we do need to obey God still. We still need to obey the Lord. We still need to, you know, the Bible talks about that we are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. Well, actually, let's go there real quick. Go to Ephesians. I need you guys to believe with me a little bit more, please. Ephesians 2.10. What does it say? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we are supposed to do good works. When you love the Lord and you have faith in him, you want to please your father. You want to do what's pleasing to him. Okay. Grace doesn't just mean that we just do whatever we want, when we want, and we just act the way we want. No, some people have a wrong idea about the grace of God. And I know we're talking about that today. We're talking about the grace and mercy of God, but the grace and mercy of God is so not, isn't so that you can just live an evil and wicked life and not care. No, if you have the nature inside of you, if you've received Jesus and you receive this reborn nature of God and the spirit of God is living in you, then you should see some man, you should see some evidence of that. If you have the faith of God in the inside of you, you should see some evidence on the inside of you of that. So no, we're not trying to do things so that God accepts us and approves of us or saves us or delivers us. But because we are saved and because he has delivered us and because he has approved of us and he has accepted us, we want to obey him. We are looking for ways to obey him. We want to pray to the father. We want to fellowship. We want to witness to people. We want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We want to walk in love. We don't want to get uh, yield to strife. We don't want to live in anger. We don't want to walk in the flesh and we do want to live in the spirit. Why? Because we love him. And if you have faith in him, and if you know that, first of all, when he has faith in you and he's done what he's done and he's paid this price and you love him and he's rooting for you and he believes in you and he has compassion on you and he's ready there to assist you and to aid you and to strengthen you, you don't want to let somebody like that down. You don't want to say, well, God, I know you did that. I know you paid the price. So I'm just keep sinning anyway. No, that's see a lot of people 
that's not love for the Lord. That's you don't really love the Lord if you are going to use grace as an excuse to just keep on doing what you want to do, what the flesh wants to do. You're just basically saying, yeah, I, I appreciate you did that, but okay. Uh, that So all my sins are covered. They're taken care of. So I'm going to just live how I want. No, You know what it costs him to do that? You know the price that he paid for that? We, sh- we need to have respect. We need to have honor for what he's done and appreciate it. And we show that appreciation. We show that gratitude by doing good deeds. Okay. By doing good actions. Faith without works is dead, right? The Bible says faith without works is dead. So, but at the same time, we are not trying to sab a guilty conscience by what we do. We are not trying to get a clear conscience by works that we do. You guys see the difference. We're not doing these things so that God accepts us. We're not doing these things so that we are right with God. We are not doing good works. We are not doing good deeds so that our conscience is clear and our conscience is salved. And we feel like now God will accept me because look at all the the poor people I fed today. Look at all the people that I clothed today. And we're, no, we're not doing those things to sab our conscience. And that is the problem is the clear, having a clear conscience. Okay. That is the, that is the problem that we are dealing with. Because if you don't have a clear conscience, you won't live a life of freedom in Christ. If you don't have a clear conscience, you will live a life of fear, of guilt, and of condemnation. And if you're living a life of fear and guilt and condemnation, you know what you're not doing? You're not going to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace. You're not going to the Father because you're living in condemnation. Do you see that? So we need to understand what the grace of God has done for us and that it has justified us, that we've been justified. Our sins have been taken away. And so because of that, we are justified. So because of that, we are righteous. We are made right with God. And we have access to go to the Father, okay? Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Grace is a good thing. Grace is good, but grace of God will not obey for you. (laughs) The grace of God will not lift you up out of your seat and cause you to obey him, cause you to walk in love. The grace of God, as, as amazing as the grace of God is, it has to be received by faith. It has to be activated by faith. You, you, I mean, the grace of God is provided for everybody that will receive it. For every sinner, the grace of God is there to forgive their sins, to take their sins away. But you still have a choice to receive that grace or not. Grace is a gift. Okay. It is saying here, you don't deserve this, but here you go. You don't, you didn't earn this. You didn't merit this, but here, this is for you. Well, you still have to receive that gift of grace. You still have to receive it. And as wonderful as grace is, it is not going to obey the word of God for you. 
It is not going to cause you to get on your knees and pray. It is not going to cause you to to get up and read the word of God. No, that's all everything that you have to do by faith in his grace, in his ability to help you. Okay, do you guys see that? Yes. Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, oops, sorry. Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm reading um, from the New King James Version. And I, I just want you to see how important this issue of conscience is. We have to deal with this issue of conscience. Because if we don't deal with the issue of conscience, then... We won't, like I said before, we won't go to the throne of grace to get what we need from the Lord. And when we don't go to the throne of grace, you're in this perpetual cycle of trying to do things on your own because of not having a clear conscience. In verse 9 of Hebrews 9, it says, It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect perfect in regard to the conscience. You see that conscience. See, these sacrifices, they didn't clear the conscience. Okay. Drop down to verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So why, again, why is this so important to have a clear conscience in regard to what we are talking about in our texts for going boldly to the throne of God? Because if you think that God is focused on your sin and you think that he's thinking about judging you, what is that going to cause you to do? That's going to cause you to stay away from him. Do you see that? If you think God is judging you, you know, you know, we need to be careful. We're supposed to walk in the light that we have. Okay. And the Bible says things like whatsoever is not a faith is of sin is a sin. Okay. Well, and that's true, but you don't know every, every time you're sinning. We're not supposed to be walking around every day sin conscious like, Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, I think I, I might have doubted there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, we're not. We're not supposed to be repenting a thousand times a day and asking God for forgiveness. If you will know when you messed up, okay? If you got in strife, you said something you shouldn't have said, you, you told something, you did something, say, Lord, forgive me. I, I, I knew I was not supposed to do that. But you can't possibly know every time that you're, you're human, you're flesh, we have weaknesses. The Bible says whatsoever is not a faith of sin. You possibly don't know every time that you are sinning on a day-to-day basis, okay? But the blood of Jesus covers that. The, the, I, I shouldn't say that. It takes it away. And if you're, just, if you're walking in the light that you know, and if you're doing what you know, you're right with God. Because of what Jesus did, because of the blood, okay? And when you're walking with him and fellowshipping with him, he'll tell you, now that's not faith, or you need to correct that. You need to change that. Then you can say, Father, forgive me. I need to change it. But you don't need to be walking around, oh no, 
I, I might be sinning. Oh, oh no, I'm sinning. So all day long, you're just confessing sins all day so that you're right with God. No, you're right with God because of what Jesus did. Okay. And that I didn't really want to get into that because that's a really another subject to talk about for another time. And then we will get into that. But I'm saying that because we don't need to be walking around with sin consciousness and condemnation and guilt and fear of going to the father. Okay. Because we now in this new covenant, which is a covenant of mercy and grace. And that doesn't mean that the old covenant wasn't a covenant of mercy of grace because it was the, the, the very, you know, provision of the uh, sacrifice system was his mercy and was his grace. Okay. And they did that all by faith, believing that these animals would make them right with God for that time period, for that year. Okay. So there was faith back then, there was mercy and there was grace back then. All right. But what I'm saying is that we receive now what Jesus did as it's over. It's cleansed our sin. It's washed it completely away. And if you don't have this clear conscience, you won't go to God because you think he's looking at my sin and he's focused on the wrong that I've done instead of him focusing on the blood of Jesus, instead of him, of him focusing on what Jesus did for us. Okay. And that is what the Lord is looking at. That is what the father is looking at. It's a throne of grace. It's a throne of mercy. He's looking at what Jesus did. And so because of that, you can go right up to him and receive the things that you need. Okay. So you won't do, you won't go to him. If you have this sin consciousness, go to drop down to verse 10. So I'm just reiterating how important it is to not have this sin consciousness. You know, this is a, a trick of the enemy to keep us in this cycle of sin consciousness, where we're focusing on trying to fix things, where we're tr focused on trying to get things right with God all the time. Because if you do that, you're not really getting the help that you need when you're trying to fix it all the time, when you're trying to be good all the time on your own. Okay. Now I'm <laughs> I hope I'm making clear that I'm not advocating that you just throw up your hands and give up. I can't do it at all. You still have responsibility and that responsibility is to yield to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit when he's endeavoring to say, hey, do this. If he says, uh, you know, you're being tempted to do something you shouldn't do. And the Holy Spirit says, um, do this instead turn that off or do this, go here, go there. You still have to listen to that. If you want the grace to come, if you want the strength to come, like I said, the grace of God does not cause you to obey. It doesn't, you know, float you out of, you know, you, you, somebody says something wrong to you or somebody in your family or says something about your mama and you get ready to slap them. The grace of God does it. Whoa, whoa. And just keep your hand back. You're like, thank you for the grace, Lord. And your hand is just stuck here. No, that's not the, how the grace of God works. The grace of God will say, turn the, turn the other way. The Holy Spirit, you know, will say, turn the other way and he'll give you the grace to do that. It, when you turn the other way and walk away from the situation, you realize all of a sudden the peace will come, the strength to come to deal with that situation. OK, so 
you still have a part to play in it, all right? And I forgot why I started talking about that. But what I'm saying is it's a trick of the enemy to keep you in this cycle of guiltiness and condemnation and where you are always trying to fix it. Because he's like, yeah, you did that wrong again. Yeah, you messed up there again. Yeah, you, you said that when you know you shouldn't have said that. Yeah, you did that when you know you shouldn't have did that. And what are you doing? You're beating yourself up. You're constantly, oh, man, I did it again. Oh, I'm not saying that you're happy when you sinned. I'm not saying that you should rejoice like, woohoo, I did it again. No, I'm not saying that. But what he's trying to do is get you to focus on yourself and your efforts. And you stay in this cycle where you never fix it because you're never going to God because you're embarrassed and ashamed to go to him because of sin consciousness. Hebrews 10.1, it says, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect for then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would had have had no more consciousness of sins. See, it didn't, those sacrifices didn't take away their sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. You see that, that their efforts and what they were doing constantly reminded them of sin. Every year, they had to think about doing this. Every year, they had to think about what they needed to do to get right with God. See, it was a constant reminder of their sins. And it was set up this way to point to them their need for Jesus. Okay. Verse, drop down to verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Verse 17, then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter in, in, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering for he is, for he who promised is faithful. I'm reading a different translation. I almost said he is faithful. That promise, same thing. But do you see that? let us hold fast to our confession of faith? You know why one reason it would be that you would be tempted to let go of your confession of faith? You know, think about that. Why would you be tempted to let go of your confession of faith? Because you, you feel so frustrated that you cannot hold on in your own strength. You feel alone that you can't do it in your own strength. And so because of that, see, remember the background of Hebrews. This is writing to Christians that have dealt with some suffering and, look, and, and persecution is imminent and it's bearing down on them. And they're tempted to go back to Judaism. They're tempted to go back to the old way and to, you, you know, to the old way of doing things. 
And the writer of Hebrews is telling them, no, you have grace and strength, not from yourself, but they're so sin conscious. He has to remind them, no, the, the, the blood of Jesus wiped away your sins. The blood of Jesus took your sins away. And now you can go to him for grace. And now you can go to him for strength. And now you can go to him and get what you need. Okay. The blood of the bulls and goats didn't do that. Only the blood of Jesus. And he's saying, so hold fast because you have that knowledge. And because you have that understanding, hold fast. See, they can now hold fast because they understand, hey, we're not alone. We, we don't have to do this in our own um, feeble, weak strength. We can do that in his grace. We can do that in his strength. Do you guys see that? See, we don't live in this old covenant anymore where we have to continually bring sacrifices year after year for our sins to be cleansed and for our, for our um, conscience to be clear. We live in a covenant that is by faith in the mercy and grace of God. It's a covenant of faith in the mercy and grace of God. And today we live the just live by faith and what Jesus did. They lived by faith back then too. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but I'm just emphasizing that our faith is in what he's already done for us in the finished work of Jesus. And so now we have a clear conscience. Now we can go to the father and say, mercy, Lord, grace, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so what I want us to see today is just how merciful the God that we serve is. He is a God of mercy. So let's look at a couple examples of his mercy of his mercy. Go to, um, well, before that, you're in Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. It's because of his mercy. Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness that we have done. It's by his mercy that he saved us. Who knows what Ephesians 2, 8 says? It says, for by grace, you are saved through faith not of your own, like, right? Not of your own works. It's because of the grace of God. It's a, it's a gift of God. It's not from ourselves. It's the gift of God. Somebody say mercy. mercy. Say grace. grace. Let's get free of sin consciousness. Consciousness. Did I say that right? Sin consciousness. No, I'm not saying that right. Consciousness. Let's get free of that. Let's get free of having this condemnation and this guilt, walking around like, oh, I'm not doing anything right. Oh, I'm not in faith enough. Oh, I'm not. Yes, we need to be in faith. Yes, we need to uh, not doubt. But we also need to realize we have the greater one inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have the Lord aiding and assisting us. Hebrews 4, I wanted to see something that... Before we see that he's our high priest and our great high priest who's there to give us grace and mercy, notice in verse 12, it says this, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See, the word of God 
we'll stop right there. The word of God cuts deep to the root of the issue, right? When you're hearing the word of God, you're reading the word of God, it doesn't pull no punches. It cuts down right to the bone and it exposes all your motives, all your agendas, all your intentions, anything that's not right, it exposes it all. There's nothing hidden from God, right? It, it, it gets right down to the root issue, right down to the bone. It cuts right down to it so that you see where you've been in the flesh and not in the spirit. So that you see that where you've been in uh, selfishness and pride and not love and humility, right? It, it shows you where you've been disobedient instead of obedient. And, and when you read the word of God and you hear the word of God being preached, it exposes that. That's what this is talking about here. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It exposes it all. It exposes it all. There's nothing hidden from God. God is not. So we might as well not pretend like nothing's there or act like I don't, I don't see anything, guy. There's nothing that I need to, you know, get right with. You know, the word of God exposes it all. God sees it all. It, it says there's nothing hidden from his eyes. He knows what's going on already. And so what do we do when the word of God convinces us or convicts, the same word, convinces us of our sin? What do we do when the Holy Spirit uh, shows us that through the word of God? Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in our time of need. See, when the word of God begins to identify the root core, the cause uh, of the issues in your life or, to, or the Lord puts his finger on something in your life that you need to change, that you need to correct, that you need to make right. And it hurts like, ooh, ouch. He is right there to sympathize, to help you, to show compassion. He is right there. You know, sometimes when, the, when the, you read the word of God or you hear the word of God and it causes you to get mad at yourself, you know, because so, sometimes we can be hard on ourselves when we shouldn't be, right? I mean, we don't want to be, we want to sometimes talk to ourselves straight, look at ourselves, that you need to get this right. But sometimes we can allow the enemy to bring that condemnation is what I'm trying to say and bring that guilt and bring that, you know, that basically, like I'm saying, that condemnation. And we want to, and we're almost beating ourselves up. And we're almost thinking that's what God is doing. But he's not. He's not doing that. See, we're, we're hearing something. We're hearing something preach. We're reading something. We're like, man, oh, man. And it, it just, it's so blaringly obvious that you need to fix something, that you need to correct. You guys ever had something like that where you're like, oh, and you feel so angry with yourself. Well, in that situation, the Lord is not trying to be angry with you. The Lord is actually there to help you, to strengthen you so that you're not feeling so down and you're not feeling condemned. He hurts with you. He's right there to strengthen you and to cur You see how all that flow together. See, he's right there to give you mercy. What does mercy mean? Mercy means that he's there to deal with you and treat you in a way that you don't deserve. That's what mercy is, right? It's something you don't deserve. And what happens when you experience mercy? What does mercy produce? 
Mercy produces relief. You get relief, right? You're, you're, you're beating yourself up, and then the Lord just comforts you with his mercy, and you just experience that relief. It's like, he, he's like, it's going to be all right, son. It's going to be all right, daughter. I, I'm going to get you back on the path. I'm, I'm going to help you. I'm going to grace you. I'm going to strengthen you. He gives you that mercy that produces that relief that alleviates you from whatever you're facing. That's what, another thing that mercy does. It brings alleviation, right? You, are about, you should experience this. You, you should experience some judgment for what you did. You should experience some penalty, but mercy comes and relieves you of it. It comes and alleviates you of that judgment and the consequences of it. That's what mercy does. Glory to God. Amen. Thank God for his mercy and his grace. Say, thank you, Lord. For your mercy. Thank you, Lord. Say that with me. Say, thank you, Lord. For your mercy. And then he's there to give you the grace, the grace, the ability, the empowerment to overcome, to uh to press past and to overcome the obstacle and the temptation. Amen. Amen. So let's look at a couple examples. Oh my goodness, we are we are running short on time, but I, I want to finish this. I don't know. Did we start late or something? Go to, go to John 8. John 8. Feels, I don't know. I feel like I'm just getting started here. John 8. Um, this is a familiar story. We'll see. You know, I have a couple stories here. Let's see um, where we get to. But John 8. Um, now, this is the story of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery you know, by the scribes and Pharisees, okay? And I want us to see the mercy of God. In John 8, 1, the first verse, we'll start there. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. I'm reading from the NIV. And at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So let me just stop right there. See, the scribes and Pharisees, they knew that Jesus was a person of truth, that he would tell the truth. But they also knew that he was compassionate and that he expressed gentleness and mercy with the people. And that's why he was popular amongst the people. So they knew this, but so they're trying to trap him. They're trying to put him in a, like, like the verse says here, they're trying to get him to come against the law and say, uh, and take a side either if, if, if he takes the side of justice and says, yep, she should be stoned. Then they're going to say, he's not merciful and he's going to lose an influence. He's not compassionate. Like you guys thought, He's just like one of us, right? But if he says, no, she shouldn't be stoned, they're going to say he's unjust and he doesn't do the law. He's not a righteous judge. He is wrong. He comes against the law of Moses. How dare he? We have right to charge him. You see that they're trying to trap him in between two things. But look what Jesus did. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, 
Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are, you, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Or like the new king or the King James says, go and sin no more. See, notice that Jesus' response keeps the justice of the law and it also keeps him in the mercy. It also shows the mercy of the law, the mercy of God, I should say, which there was mercy in the law. See, because it forced the woman's accusers to have to look at their own sin. It forced them to have to say, wait a minute, I'm a sinner too. And if she should be stoned and put to death, the wages of sin is death, I should be put to death as well. And so Jesus didn't say what you did was okay, nor did he say what she did was right. And so he satisfied both. <laughs> Do you see that? How the Lord can do that. How, but I want you to see, and yeah, there's so many things here, but I want you to see the mercy of God. The Bible says in James that mercy triumphs over judgment. Even though God is a just God and there is some judgment that should have come, there is some judgment that is due. He wants to have mercy. He wants to show mercy. And so Jesus, see, he didn't come to take away the law. He fulfilled it. Mercy was right there. Mercy was standing right there, and they didn't even see it. The scribes and Pharisees didn't even see it. They were so caught up in trying to get them in a trap and trying to do everything according to the law and the rules, but forgot about the mercy aspect of it, that there was always mercy. And so now, so basically he's saying that judgment and justice cannot be administered by other sinners. Do you see that? We have, a, we have a, a culture today that wants to administer judgment and justice, but they themselves are sinners. They themselves are not right. They themselves are not doing what's please, what's correct in the eyes of God. But they want to administer judgment. And that's what these Pharisees were doing. So hypocritical. So uh, hypocritical and not seeing what the mercy of God was I mean, that was what the whole mercy seat was about, was giving them something they don't deserve. So Jesus didn't even have to come against the, ma- the, the, the law. He was showing that, yeah, God is still just and there, he is still a just God, but he's also a merciful God as well. Do you see that? I mean, we, we know that in the Old Testament, we see that Jonah, the Lord sent Jonah to Nineveh, right? And he sent him with the prophecy. What did he tell him to do? That prophecy was, hey, you got 40 days, right? And if it was it 40 days, I think, I think it was 40 days. You got 40 days to get things right, to repent or else you got you guys are goners, basically. (laughs) Right. And what happened? They repented. They fasted. They repented. And the Lord, what did he do? He showed them mercy. They were due judgment. They were owed judgment, 
And that's why Jonah got mad. And that's why he tried to flee because he knew God was going to be merciful with them because he knows God is a God of mercy. We serve a merciful God. Let's look at one more and then we'll close with that. Go to Luke 15. Luke 15. There is mercy throughout the scripture. Even in some of the laws, there was mercy. Even in some of the law, in all, there was mercy. You know, I know the Bible talks about, should I get into that right now? No, let's, let's, I'm not going to get into that because that's a lot to explain. Um, go to, where did I tell you to go? Luke 15. Yes, that's right. Luke 15. We, I was reading this, I think this was Friday or Thursday's or Friday's chapter that we're reading. So we're all reading our chapters, right? In the New Testament. And I saw this was a great picture of mercy. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Man, <laughs> isn't that bad timing? <laughs> Just as he spent everything they had, up oh, famine, <laughs> and began to be in want. Then he went, and that's why we want to be led by the Lord and, <laughs> and all those things, because he'll tell you what's coming up. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Notice that the father was having compassion. He, 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 he wasn't, you know, angry with him. He wasn't saying about time. I'm ready to judge him. I'm ready to give him the guilty verdict. I'm ready to let him have it. No, he was already having compassion on him. And he said to his son, uh, and the son said to him, Father, uh, did I miss something? And the father uh, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked, What these things mean? And he said to them, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in, therefore. He would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Now, I want you to notice something 
This older son represents the Pharisees that are trying to work to gain acceptance. It says, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Did the son that left, did he deserve this mercy? Did he deserve, he sinned, he, t- he wasted his money, he lived wrong. Did he deserve as soon as he came home for there to be a party thrown for him? Did he deserve that? No. Uh, did he, but what did he do? He came humbly and boldly and received. He could have hid forever. He could have said, man, I can't go back. I'm ashamed. I'll never be able to go back now. But what did he do? He went right to the father and he got mercy, mercy. Now, this is not this story. These stories are not so that we can sin. Okay, that's not what they're talking about. You know, Jesus to the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. What did he tell her? He said, go and sin no more. So he did not condemn her, but neither did he condone the sin. He actually condemned the sin but showed her mercy, but also told her, don't sin again. Okay. So God's mercy is not an excuse for us to just keep sinning and sinning because he's merciful. No, we don't want to take advantage of us. Like I said, saying before of his grace and his mercy, we don't want to treat it as nothing. We honor and respect the Lord, but we also need to know that no matter how many times, if our heart is right and we come to the Lord, he will give us mercy. He is a merciful God. But what I want us to see also is, yes, he's merciful. He's a merciful high priest. And he's there to show us mercy before. He's there to give us grace before so that we can live a life that's victorious, so that we can have a triumphant life and a victorious life in Christ where we're not constantly falling and not constantly trying to do things on our own and in our own ability, in our own efforts. No, we can go to the Father and get the grace we need, get the mercy we need. We can strengthen up and get the grace and we'll overcome in every situation and every temptation. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you today. For more information on our ministry or to donate, visit onewayministries.net.